Good morning. Please uh, join me with prayer as we get ready to come before our holy God in the study of his word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning to honor and glorify your name. We seek to do this by rightly understanding what you have to teach us from your word. We ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate our minds and soften our hearts to understand and accept the teachings of your word. And Lord, I ask that you be with me so that what I say this morning is in accord with your will. It is in Christ's name that I ask this. Amen. Our passage this morning is from the second epistle of Peter in chapter 1. I ask that you turn there with me. If you're using the Blue Pew Bibles, it is on page 1207. So we're going to be reading 2 Peter chapter 1, the first 11 verses. Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have attained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in this world because of sinful desires for this very reason make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue Virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. And, and this letter of Peter is addressed to believers. In the opening section we have just read, Peter commands these believers in verse 10, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. Calling and election can be summed up in one word, salvation. Peter is commanding his readers to be diligent in confirming or assuring their salvation. Assurance of salvation is a confidence or a certainty in one's position in Christ or one's hope for eternal security. Why is Peter making this command? Is not our salvation by faith alone, and that is a gift of God? This is true, and therefore, if we have faith, our salvation is completely established fact that we do not have to confirm. However, Calvin highlighted true believers can experience something far different than absolute assurance. This lack of experiential assurance is due to remaining presence of sin in our lives following our conversion. Even those who truly believe in Christ can be troubled with questions like, how do I know I'm saved? 
Do my doubts mean that I really don't believe? Can I be sure that I'm one of the elect? I don't feel saved. Or how about my kids? How can I encourage their faith? If you've ever asked yourself any questions like this, this portion of 2 Peter is for you. We will study this command today. We will be looking at three things concerning our assurance of salvation. First, we'll look at the attaining of assurance. So while assurance is closely tied to faith, it is different. Assurance is a gift of God. However, there's also things that we can do to cooperate with the Holy Spirit to gain assurance. We'll be looking at the benefits of assurance. Here we'll see that strong knowledge of our position in Christ brings us to, with it a victorious life. And then we'll see how can we gain confident or become with a confident assurance. How can I maintain a strong assurance? What tools has God provided to strengthen our assurance of salvation? So we're going to begin here by looking at um, seeing how we can attain assurance of salvation. But before we explore the details of this, we need to be sure we know exactly what is meant by the term. The term assurance of salvation is related to our salvation, obviously, but it is not the same as our salvation. That's a critical point we must remember. The difference lies in the basis for each. The basis of our salvation is how we are saved. Romans 10.9 tells us that because you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you are saved. You will be saved. This is the gospel. This is what saves us. We're also told in Ephesians 2.8 and 9, for we know from our salvation is 100% the work of God's grace. Because what's Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 say? For by the grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing, it is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. There's also a familiar hymn, I think we all know, Rock of Ages. And what's it say? Nothing in my hand I bring, it's simply to thy cross I cling. That is the basis of our salvation. So since we contribute nothing to our salvation, Peter is not telling us to work hard to complete our salvation. Rather, he wants us to be diligently to be aware of our position in Christ. The basis of our assurance of salvation is how we know that we are saved, not how we are saved. It's a subtle but extremely critical point. So how can we know that we are saved? Well, our Westminster Confession of Faith does help us out here. It says that there are three things that our assurance is built upon. The number one and the primary one are the promises of God. That is our assurance of salvation. The second one that comes along line are evidences of the Holy Spirit working in our lives and the testimony of the Holy Spirit. We'll be looking at each one of these things in turn as we go. But to help us along, what I want to do this morning is suggest an analogy. Now, I do this very hesitantly because I know all analogies fall short. But they do have their value, so I'm going to go ahead with it anyway. What I'm going to try to do here this morning is to make an example of comparing our spiritual life to taking a hike to a magnificent waterfall. 
Renee and I do indeed enjoy hiking when we're on vacation. There was one hike that is forever etched into our minds. And it's when we went to the fairy pools on the Isle of Skye in Scotland. We knew a little bit about this before we went. I do have the All Trail apps on my phone, which works internationally and everything, and I knew that it was a 2.6 mile hike with 500 feet of elevation gain. There was photos involved, so I knew what the, it looked like. There are reviews about people saying things, this is a magnificent trail. It's a little muddy, but it's best, you know, view, beautiful views of mountains and rivers and waterfalls. And we said, oh, we're sold, we're going. So we arrived early on a beautiful sunny morning. We got there early to beat the crowds. Our journey started off easy enough, but we found that the, tread, the trail headed across a meadow, and this meadow was laced with other trails. So, oh man, how do we stay on a trail? We were forced to look for signs to make sure we were on the right trail. There were some trail markers, so those helped. And I also did have good contact with my all-trails map, which was keeping us on the right path. So all was fine until we started seeing gray, then black clouds forming over those beautiful mountains that we came to view. If any of you ever know anything about northern Scotland, I made a phrase at the beginning of this, a beautiful sunny morning. That was not to last. The heavens opened up. We've had showers like that around here, right? Noah's flood type of showers. That was what we got. So we donned our rain jackets. We made a slight little mistake, and that was we didn't bring rain pants, but more on that later. So we were debating about just turning back. And then about that time, another couple came back down the hill from us, and they really encouraged us to keep on saying things like, oh, the last waterfall is spectacular. And it's not much farther. You can make it. So we kept on. And indeed, it was glorious. So I just ask you to keep this in mind as we continue this in our talk about assurance of salvation. Just keep thinking about this little story. First in this story, I want to relate of what I said earlier about our salvation and the fact that our assurance are different things. In this story, the final waterfall is our, symbolizing our salvation. It is there, it is glorious, and there's nothing I can do to keep it there. The trail I was on will lead us there, and there will be wondrous sights along this trail called the fairy pools. So these are examples of the blessings that we receive from our Lord. So living an insured life is reminiscent excuse me, of being on the right trail. If we get onto the wrong trail, the final waterfall is still there. It might be a little harder to get to it. it might have to do a little bushwhacking. It might be a more strenuous effort. And the other thing is we, all the sites are on the main trail. So we may miss out on some of the blessings. But we will get there. One thing to remember, that the waterfall was there, there's no reason, if the waterfall was not there, there's no reason for the trail to be there. So the waterfall is the goal. So just as we can be on the wrong trail, but the waterfall is still there, it may be we could have a, a lack of assurance, 
but our salvation is definitely still there. We look now to see how we should be able to attain this assurance of salvation or to stay on the right trail. Few questions may arise. One question that's been commonly spoken is, does God want me to be fully assured? Why wouldn't he? Well, the rationale to this question is that if I am fully assured, fully convinced of my eternal security, I can live however I want, and I don't have to obey God. Paul actually addresses this question in Romans 6, 1 and 2. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who die to sin still live in it? True assurance will not result in a sinful lifestyle. But how do we know, even apart from this risk, that God wants us to be fully assured? One of the things is the fact that we are told by Peter to diligently seek assurance. Similarly, in Hebrews 6.11, we read, And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have full assurance of hope until the end. So the apostles would not be commanding us to do something that God didn't want us to do. So yes, God wants us to be assured of our salvation. So then we say, okay, God wants us to have it, but is it possible? How can we know that we, we are saved short of waiting till we finish the race and are at the gates of glory? Here we're helped out by Philippians 1.6. Paul writes, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So the fact that Scripture teaches that we should seek assurance and that Paul can be sure of the salvation of others, we can be confident that it is possible to obtain assurance. You may be thinking, how can I attain assurance of my salvation? How can I stay on the right trail? I know that all I, do to, all I have to do is to believe in Christ to be saved, but how do I know or can be assured that I really believe? Peter tells us we must be diligent to confirm our salvation. How can we do this? This question is what Peter handles in the other verses in this section. Peter starts in verses 3 and 4 by saying, his divine power has granted to all of us that per, all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory, the excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in this world because of sinful desire. The first thing that we must remember when it comes to our assurance is that it is granted or given to us by God. And how is it given? Through His divine power, He grants it to us. All things that pertain to life and godliness. This includes our firm knowledge of our salvation in Him. God grants us these things through the knowledge of Him who called us, namely Jesus. We are told that the basis of our confidence is God's precious and very great promises that God has granted to us. What are these precious and very great promises? 
Well, you know our Bible's full of them, right? But there's one example for our text tonight is this morning is Acts 16.31 that says, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Again, Romans 10.9 says, Because if you confess in your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that, Jesus raised him from the, that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Notice the phrase in both of these verses, you will be saved. It does not say you might be saved or you have a chance of being saved. It says you will be saved. The promises of God are the all trails map, the reviews, the photos. We can be sure of our destination. The next way to gain assurance is given by Peter just before the command that we read in verse 10. Remember, that command started with the word therefore, so as we all know, it's important to see what comes immediately before that. Starting in verse 5 through 8, we read, For this very reason, and that reason is the fact that God has granted to us all things pertaining to life and godliness, so for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith by virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the first thing we need to look at here is what does Peter mean by saying we should supplement our faith? One thing that we can be sure that he is not saying is that we must have faith and these qualities as a basis or a foundation upon our salvation, for our salvation. Rather, Peter is providing here, I think, a description of what true faith looks like. Recall James 2.26, For the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also the faith apart from works is dead. If you have been granted the Holy Spirit, that faith will be evidenced in your lives. Peter says that that evidence of true faith is virtue, Knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. This list is simply a restating what Apostle Paul says in Galatians and calls the fruits of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, 22 through 23. And it's been said that when the Bible wants to tell us what Christians are like, it gives us character traits, not a to-do list. So what is being said here about the basis of insurance? Well, for a starting point, we can notice what Peter actually says. He says, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, fruit grows. For a fruit to be growing, it starts out as a bud. A bud may be very small, but it's there, and it is a sign of future growth. What kind of buds can we be looking for? Well, one example is the question we've been asking and addressing today. Is my faith real? Here to tell you that an unbeliever would not care. Do we believe the Bible is true? Scripture tells us that the word of God is foolishness to the unregenerate. Do we care for others more than ourselves? In 1 John 2.10 we read, Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause of stumbling. With time we will see the fruit of the Spirit growing where we least expect it. This is not something that we can do on our own. We need the Holy Spirit. 
However, it's also true that there may be times where we actively resist the Spirit's blessing and leading in our lives. And we can decide to continue in our sinful behavior. Does this mean that if we resist the working of the Spirit in our lives that we can lose our salvation? Absolutely not. But what we can lose is our assurance. Remember, they're different. Examination of our lives provide us with evidences of the working of the Holy Spirit. These evidences are markers indicating that we're on the right trail. The third way we gain assurance is stated in the Westminster Confession. It says the testimony of the spirit of adoption, witnessing with our spirits that we are children of God, which, which spirit is the earnest for our inheritance, whereby we are sealed for the day of redemption. We must be aware that one of the main roles of the Holy Spirit is to be a witness with our spirits before God concerning our faith in Christ alone. We have just seen that the testimony spirit to our spirits can help us as we search our hearts, but the Holy Spirit does more than that. Even when our faith is weak, the Spirit will continue to testify on our behalf. Also, the fact that the Holy Spirit is in us as Christ himself has promised, he is our earnest, our down payment of our inheritance. We are sealed for the day of redemption. It is the Holy Spirit who seals us, nothing that we do. So with the fear of being flippant, we could almost see the Holy Spirit as a trail guide we didn't have to pay for. If we avail ourselves of his help, our journey will be smoother. An important thing to take away from what have I said so far is that while we should be seeking to strengthen our assurance, we must always remember that assurance is ultimately a gift of God and it is not based on how we feel on a given day. The more we remember this, the steadier our assurance will be. Are there benefits of assurance? We have seen that we should be seeking assurance for our salvation, but our tendency is to ask why. What's in it for me? We have already seen that God commands us to seek assurance, and so that, for that, that, so that should be reason enough. However, there are, are there other reasons? God in his mercy does indeed provide additional blessings. The first benefit of salvation is gain us to the freedom to serve Christ. Joel Beakey in his book, Knowing and Growing in Assurance of Faith, said, an assured Christian is an active Christian. He further states, a Christian without assurance is seldom concerned about good works. Rather, his spiritual energy is consumed by questioning whether he is saved or not. So if we know we are on right trail, we are better equipped to help others. If we are confident in our position in Christ, we will be seeking to respond to Christ's love for us by loving our neighbor. This is reflected in Jesus' own words in John 14, 15, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. The final benefit of assurance that I'll mention here is, starts in the second half of verse 10 through 11. It says, For if, or because, you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided to you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If we diligently confirm our calling and election, we will never fall, and we will be richly provided an entrance into the kingdom of heaven. What does this mean? 
Be very aware, this is not saying that unless you have full assurance, you will fall from grace and not enter the kingdom of heaven. Peter cannot mean this. Why not? Let's go back to verse 1. Peter tells us that he is writing to those who obtained a faith equal to ours, which includes Peter's. So if Peter is telling these true believers that they could fall from grace if they were not assured of their calling, he would be directly contradicting verses like Acts 16, 31, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. So he's not saying that. So let's go back to our story and figure out maybe what he is saying. Okay, so I told you that we were hiking and we encountered a storm on the trail. That did not mean that our destination was in doubt. We would eventually get to that final waterfall. However, we were only partially prepared. Remember we had rain jackets? Remember, we did not have rain pants? By the time we got to the falls, we were soaked and cold. The final destination was indeed glorious. But the journey was definitely not all that it could have been. The storm here is referring to how Christian will fare as the challenges of living in a fallen world descend upon them. If you want to weather the storms of life well, Be diligent in your preparation. Buy rain pants. How can we look at how we can prepare our life in a fallen world? How can we develop confidence in our assurance? We've seen how we can attain assurance and that we should desire the blessings associated with assurance. But how can we maintain our assurance? How can we strengthen our confidence in our position in Christ? If we desire to attain assurance, it is important that we attain the correct kind of assurance. To understand wrong views of assurance, we need to take a brief look at some proverbial ditches on either side of the road concerning wrong views of salvation, of assurance, and blessings. First, concerning salvation. I remind you, as we all know here, I think, that salvation is by faith alone, by Christ alone, by, alone, by grace alone. Also, we know that God's electing grace is completely effective and sufficient for all who God has elected unto salvation. We add nothing to our salvation. If we move away from this description of salvation, we can approach one of two very dangerous ditches. The first one is universalism, which is easily described by a syllogism. God saves everybody. I am a body, therefore I am saved. The second equally dangerous ditch is I must do something to be saved. We know that we are not saved by anything we do, for it says in Galatians 2.16, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So however, this this wanting to do something can be an extremely subtle error that we must protect against. It could even slip into the lives of those claiming the the name of Jesus. If we fall in this category, you may claim Jesus and trusting in him for your salvation, but is there something else you're also trusting in? Are you trusting in your church membership, your moral lifestyle? a prayer you prayed, an aisle you walked, or the faith you have. That's right, I said, the faith you have. 
We are not saved by faith alone in faith alone. We are saved by faith alone in Christ alone. We cannot allow anything to be counted at a, other than that be counted as the basis of our salvation. So in addition to having a firm understanding of what our salvation is based on, we also need a correct view of assurance itself. We mentioned one of the errors concerning assurance. The error is that I am fully assured of my salvation. I can live however I want. After all, once saved, always saved. Paul rejects this we've already seen in Romans 6. Another erroneous view is that if I do not feel saved, I must not be saved. Remember, the primary basis of our assurance are God's promises, not our feelings. Finally, we can look at the incorrect view of blessings and trials. Hard providence may lead to, at times, distort our view of God. We may start thinking things like, well, God blessed me once. He's not blessing me now. Maybe I wasn't ever really a child of God. We must remember here that God uses afflictions to grow us in Christ's likeness. So in addition um, to avoiding false assurance, there are hindrances that true assurance that can come in. Hindrances can be widespread. What are some of these things? You can watch out for dwelling too much on your past or recurring sins. A lacking of a biblical understanding of God. An incomplete or flawed view of justification by faith alone. Not recognizing the evidence of the Spirit working in your life. It can also be due just to someone's personality. Some people are just harder on themselves than others. And also, the other thing that it can be that you may not have had a, quote, conversion experience that you can hang your hat on. These things do not mean that you are not saved. They, they can, however, be hindrances to your growing assurance. So we talked about the wrong kind of assurance as well as assur- um, hindrances to our assurance. So let's move now to how we can maintain a confident assurance. Meditation on the promises of God and study of the Psalms will help us to understand that uh, afflictions is not an indicator that God has left us. You must stay under the ministry of the Word, both read and preached. You must regularly pray that the Holy Spirit strengthen your assurance. Remember, God is the source of our assurance. If we find ourselves trapped in sin and doubts, the Holy Spirit is the only one who can change our hearts and relieve our doubts. God has given us the sacraments as a reminder that we are sealed in Christ and all our sins are forgiven. So do not forsake the sacraments, particularly the Lord's Supper. Finally, seek deep fellowship with other believers. Look around you. There are people here today who need their assurance strengthened. You may be one of them. Remind each other of the good things that God has done, especially the surety of their position in Christ. Remember, sometimes it is hard to see, for us to see how the Spirit's been working in our own lives. Someone may have to point it out to us, or we may have to point it out to somebody else. As we close this morning, let's review where we've been. We've seen that salvation and assurance of salvation are not the same thing. We can have doubts concerning our salvation, but that does not mean that we are not saved. Simple faith in Christ as presented in the gospel is all that is needed for salvation. 
We have also seen that blessing, like an enha- the blessings like an enhanced desire to serve Christ and others, the desire to obey Christ out of love and not obligation, and a steadiness of our Christian life all come with assurance. God wants us to have those blessings. He wants us to seek assurance. We seek assurance by looking first at God's character and promises. We can also look at how the Holy Spirit has been at work in our lives. In doing this, we must realize that while we will not reach sinlessness this side of glory, even small degrees of spiritual growth are strong evidences that our, our faith is indeed true. The caution here is to be in constant prayer for the Holy Spirit and to help us to keep our motives for obedience pure. We obey out of love and gratitude to Christ, not out of adding anything to his justifying work. So based on all this, what should we do? If you know yourself here this morning that you are indeed an unbeliever, you are not resting upon Christ alone for forgiveness or your sins, sorry, but you are not saved. Maybe you don't think God saves everyone, but he will save good people. So you, like to, you try to live a godly life. Remember, saving faith in, in Christ as presented in the gospel is critical. You need Christ. Some of you here today may have a firm belief in, God, in the gospel and you trust in Christ alone for your salvation. However, sin is ever present in your life. The fact that you're still maybe committing the same sin you have for years. Perhaps you have no joy in your Christian life due to hard life circumstances. You see other believers who are blessed by God and you do not feel blessed. Under these situations, you may start by wondering, maybe I never did truly believe. Maybe I am not one of the elect. In this situation, it may be necessary to confirm that you did indeed believe the gospel. But what is also needed beyond this is that you spend some time refocusing on God's promises. Christ has already paid the penalty for all your sins, past, present, and future. Understand that God will never lose one of his children. You can also examine your life for evidences of fruit, remembering that the evidence of any fruit of the Spirit, even a tiny bud, is an indication that your, your faith, is, while weak, is indeed true. Remember that hard providences are also a blessing of God. He uses all things to grow us in Christ's likeness. He may be bringing to light an er- a new area of sin in your life. Repentance may be in order. But remember that the basis of our self- assurance is first and foremost the promises of God, with belief in Christ being the foundation. Finally, you may be a true believer who has assurance, and you know you are going to heaven. I say, praise the Lord. But the best time to prepare for storms is while the sun is shining. If you desire to weather the storms well, you must be diligent to confirm your calling and election. This diligence includes not forsaking the means of grace that God has so graciously provided to us. Make it a priority to stay under the ministry of the word through private devotion and public preaching. Focus on God's promises concerning salvation. Keep your desire for assurance a matter of prayer. Seek the Holy Spirit's assistance. Ask the Holy Spirit to soften your heart concerning his guidance and conviction of sin in your life. Make regular use of the sacraments to remind you of your position in Christ. Participate in Christian fellowship. 
Take advantage of the loving relationships God has placed you in to be an encouragement to you and for you to encourage others. Assurance of salvation is a great blessing from God. It equips us to weather the storms of living in a fallen world and to strengthen our ability to serve the Lord with all our heart, mind, and strength. So as the Apostle Peter, Peter told us, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. The Lord desires you to have a strong confidence in your position in Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for the promises of your word concerning hope for eternity. Remind each of us daily that we are yours. You have adopted us. You will never leave us or forsake us. Have your spirit guide us and strengthen us daily to live in a manner that you are glorified in our lives. We thank you for calling us to yourself and for all the blessings that come to us as a result of being in Christ. For it is his name we pray. Amen.